Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing to work our way through the gospel narrative. This is Gospels Part 59. Last week we wrapped up the controversial and very difficult chapter of John 6 about the bread of life and yeah. what that means to abide in the Father. Now Jesus shows that perfectly through his own life and he's calling us as followers to do that as well. And then we kind of switch paces a little bit to uh, another story where the Pharisees and the scribes were criticizing Jesus about his disciples breaking these quote-unquote traditions of the elders. In this case, it was the washing of hands before eating. And then Jesus is responding by saying that in reality, they're breaking God's commandments by keeping these traditions of the elders in a way that's not alleviating suffering and not um, continuing to help the oppressed. Uh, and their pursuing of these traditions is actually doing more harm than good. And And he actually showed an example with one of his cross-references about back in his day with people with their parents and neglecting them for the sake of resources right. going to the temple like crazy stuff yeah um, that we were wrestling with and we're going to continue that today yeah the corban wasn't it that's right corban it's the exact opposite of things we see in torah and it that was a great review because it's important that we remember it started out with a question about uh let's just say ritual purity washing hands before eating, and the big controversy was between traditions and commandments, and commandments need to always win out over tradition, right? But as we continue, Jesus is going to use that as a springboard and talk about some other things. Uh, So our next section is in Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 14, and in Mark, this would be chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. We're going to go ahead and read from Matthew. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Okay. And this this is like classic Bible stuff. I mean, these are the parts of the stories that always feel really comfortable. But there's still a lot of great stuff in here. So let's talk about what's going on. Now, you can kind of see, now this wasn't direct, okay? This this is a very indirect way of doing it, but you can kind of see that Jesus is challenging the Pharisees and the scribes. He turns and he calls the people to him and he says this thing. So it's, it's indirect, 
But in a sense, it's kind of like a public throwdown, if you know what I'm saying. And and this, I, I guess it depends on who you are in the story and how you look at it, whatever. But you you could possibly look at this and say, hey, you know, that might have been kind of embarrassing and humiliating back on the scribes and Pharisees. And the reason I bring that up is because, remember when we were trying to say, well, wait a second, the fact that Jesus brought this up in the first place about, hey, you're, you're you know, uh, breaking commandments, but trying to keep your traditions, we were thinking, well, the, I mean, the, the scribes, and they must have done something right there in that moment that Jesus was talking about. And we talked about at least one idea that I had read about, the idea that, well, maybe he was kind of embarrassing or humiliating those disciples. And so here you see kind of the inverse of that. Now, we we have to say this, this is important. As a general rule, we should be very protective of a person's dignity and reputation. And I'm going to say, even when they are in the wrong, we all have to be very protective of that. So, calling people out in public definitely should not be our go-to response. We see Jesus do things that that kind of appear to be this on a few different occasions, and for what it's worth, they do at least seem to be reserved for those who are in leadership that are leading others astray. And so, maybe we could look at that and say, well, okay, maybe that kind of stands out as a, a special situation or something, don't know. But here's what we know. Obviously, because Jesus is doing it, he is acting in the right. We just trust that because he, he's God's perfect Messiah, okay? The, the thing is, we're not always sure why it's right. It, it, it's not always obvious. So, when you see this as an example, if what you're seeing in the text is Jesus kind of, you know, getting them right back for what they did, well, okay, I'd be mighty careful with this. On one hand, we shouldn't be afraid to be bold when it's necessary and, and, and use it, but you know what? We got to be careful. And I'm going to say it again. We should be protective of other people's dignities and reputation. And that's con- convicting in today's age when we think about, I'm not even being specific, just how much calling out of others oh. that goes on in public and how God's standard yeah. calls us to something much higher than that. Uh, yeah. And there's even a sense within some of those circles that they're doing it in the right by it calling out the injustice, but here it seems Jesus is pushing the limit to say, like, yeah, you can call out injustice, but, like, when only necessary, like, should it be done publicly, privately, is is the more respectful way to honor that person. Exactly. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't know about the rest of the world, but in American culture, I would... I would probably call it the last six decades have just been horrible for this. We have gotten worse and worse and worse and worse about just ripping each other to pieces publicly. It's just, it's a mess. It's wrong. But anyway, we, in this story, and and I think it would also be fair to say, yeah, I, I don't think that's even what's happening here. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you. Maybe not. Maybe, But I'm just saying, if you are seeing this in the text, hey, you need to have a big yellow caution sign out, right? It's it's just an important thing. 
But however you read it, it, it's also important to see Jesus, he's not finished. It started with, hey, you guys are, you know, choosing traditions over commandments, bad idea. But he wants to continue, and he's going to tell everybody now who's around him, everybody can hear him. And and he starts to switch the topic on him. He uses that as a springboard. It's not what goes in you that defiles you. It's what comes out. So first, the obvious connection. Jesus is relating back to the original conflict, which was not washing before eating. And so that's the whole idea of what goes in to you. Now, the Pharisees and scribes, they're suggesting that this was defiling. And what did they mean by that? They meant that it made a person impure. Well, what did they mean by that? They meant ritually, which is another way of saying physically impure. And what does that mean? Why is that important? Because purity, physical purity, was an important part of being able to enter into the temple and and many of the, the just call it the, the cultural things in Israel. Now, this is important because Jesus's point is now switching and he's no longer caring so much about ritual impurity. Now, we're going to let Jesus explain it more below. I don't want to like, you know, spoil it, but, but we have to note Jesus is not suggesting setting aside commandments. I mean, he just busted their chops. You're setting aside commandments because of tradition. So he's not suggesting setting aside any commandments, especially, and this is what many people see in this text, any of the commandments about eating unclean animals, like you would find if you want to read about it, go back to Leviticus 11 or whatever. I mean, he just scolded them. So he's not trying to set aside any, and specifically and especially, he's not trying to set aside any commandments about eating unclean animals. So my point is just to say, let's stay in the context. Pay attention to what you're reading. We are talking about eating bread with unwashed hands which has to do with ritual impurity. Now, uh, we get down to verse 12. I don't know. I kind of get a kick out of this. Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? I mean, okay. I'm sure there are a number of, you know, senses in which we could take this verse or whatever. But to me, it kind of comes across with the, can you believe those Pharisees? It's like they didn't even understand what you meant. They got offended. Ha <laughs> ha, losers. Now, I, I'm sure they probably didn't even mean it that way, but, but you get what I'm saying. It's, it's like the, the, the disciples are pointing out that they've got a problem with it. And this is going to become really funny in just a couple of more verses. I won't give that away either, but, but you'll see that. It, it would, how do I say this? It could be, you know, when we say that they're offended, Maybe they took it personally and they were offended that way. Or or maybe what they're suggesting is that the scribes and Pharisees, they're disagreeing with the teaching, like they're considering him to be a false teacher or something like that. We don't, we don't exactly know what they mean when they say that they were offended. And so we kind of got to leave a little room there. But anyway, I just, I point out that verse because I think it's going to be a little more comical later when we see what happens. Do you think that there's also a chance that the disciples' response in 
verse 12 could be motivated out of fear of the Pharisees oh, with the, yeah. the authority that they have you over bet. the public and what is being taught from day to day. And the disciples are coming to Jesus like, Rabbi, like, do you know like what you just said? Like, they seem really offended. Like, uh, I don't know what you're going to do about this, but we just want to let you know. And probably Jesus is rolling his eyes like, I'm the I'm the daggum son of man. You don't think I can handle this? <laughs> and I, for one, can definitely picture Jesus using the phrase dadgum. Dad gum it anyhow. Oh, darn it. What in tarnation? <laughs> I'm just saying. I can picture he, it. He was from the country in terms of <laughs> Jewish sins. That's right. That's right. But yeah, no, I think, I think, yeah, that's another great possibility. But now listen to how he responds. So they're saying, hey, did you know the Pharisees, they were kind of bothered by what you're saying? And his answer is, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Samuel? Does that remind you of anything? Um, wasn't there a parable yeah. that Jesus was talking about? There's like good plants and bad plants in the same field, and some characters are like, Master, do you want us to go pluck up the bad plants? And the, the master's like, no, because if you do that, you might pull up some of the, the good plants too. Right. And that is exactly what this alludes to. I mean, and I don't mean that Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to remind you of something I said before, but that same line of thinking, all of that, it takes us back to the parable about the wheat and the weeds or the wheat and the tares. And uh, this also connects to a couple verses back in Isaiah. And so Samuel, I'm going to have you read these just because they have something to do with people as plants or whatever, if you think of it that way. This is Isaiah chapter 60, verse 21. Samuel, read that. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. So that's an example of a good plant being something that, that God desires and it, it glorifies him. Uh, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, and actually I cut out just a bit of that, so read that part that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Yeah, and there it is again. And in this case, what does righteousness represent? Well, it's the, the tall, mighty, strong plant, right? That kind of thing. Uh, and again, that he may be glorified. And so, right here in the middle of this, we get that little reminder, hey, you know what? Be the wheat and not the weed. So, I don't know. I just and, love that uh, little picture. And my brain goes to, like, you see it in the very first psalm, like Psalm 1, the person who delights in the law of the Lord, he's like a tree planted by streams yeah. of water. Jeremiah, in chapter 17, he he showcases those who are not in accordance with God and his law. They're like these bushes that don't produce fruit or that they seem like they're producing fruit but it's very hollow in terms of substance and quality and then uh, i think in like jeremiah seventeen seven, the, he says like blessed blessed is the man who trusts in the lord he will be like a tree planted by the water so i yeah. mean 
the the plant imagery to showcase the righteous from the unrighteous is all over the text. Yeah, it's a it's a great picture. And remember, it's the response to, hey, did you know that you made them upset? You know what? Just be a good plant. <laughs> I love yeah. I love that. It's great. And then I thought this was super interesting. He, I mean, you know, let them alone. They are blind guides. We don't think too much of that. But that phrase, the, the, the word underneath it for let them alone is leave behind. It's the same word that Mark used in his gospel when he was saying that they were leaving behind the commandment of God. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Leave them behind. That I just I, I thought that was super cool. You know, little mm-hmm. little things in the text you don't think of. But anyway, he says to leave them alone because they're blind guides. And we've talked about this before. Uh, I think it was toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I wrote, yeah, here it is, Luke 6.39. And here, uh, they aren't seeing what Jesus is showing them. And, and I think that this is possibly a, a willful blindness. Uh, but this is made worse. Why? Because they are the leaders of the people. And so when you've got self-will or unteachableness or, I don't know, arrogance, whatever you want to put in there, it's going to lead to, dis- to destruction, which is, you know, falling into a pit And the reason that that's so bad, especially for leaders, is because those following them will also fall into the pit. They're going to suffer the same fate. So, I don't know. It's a good little section. This is like classic gospel stuff. So, people should be feeling right at home right about now. Mm -hmm. I think it's also kind of surprising that that phrase, the blind leading the blind. I wonder how many people realize that that's in the Bible, like. Uh, right, it's, it's such a commonly used phrase, and yet here it is in the divine text. Yeah, you know what? I think you're right. There's a bunch of those little phrases. People have no idea where they come from. That's good. All right, so the next section, uh, we're, we're continuing the story, so we may as well keep going. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 15 through 17, and Mark chapter 7, verses 17 to 19. And you know what? I'm going to switch over and read Mark this time. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And then Mark adds in parentheses, thus he declared all foods clean. Oh boy. Can you feel it, Samuel? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to tear that one up, right? Okay. (laughs) So, all right, but let's, let's take this through one step at a time. So Mark, he's got them entering the house and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they've gone back to Capernaum. I mean, the last we heard they were in Gennesaret. Uh, but they've entered the house. Maybe they were staying somewhere there. I don't know. But we're going to go with, I think, because of where the story's headed, it's, it's at least reasonable to think maybe they've gone back to Capernaum, Peter's house, even though we're not sure. But wherever they are, they're not. Uh, they're finally alone, like the, the, the crowd is left outside. And 
this is what I was talking about before. They asked Jesus to explain what he meant by it's not what goes in you that defiles you, it's what comes out. That's the very thing they were saying. Hey, did did you know that the Pharisees were offended, you know, that you said that thing? And they don't even know what it means. It's just hilarious to me. But Jesus' response is great. He asks two questions. Are you without understanding? And and I think that would make you uh, a weed, a plant that's not planted by the Father. And number two, do you not see? Well, that would make you a blind guide. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't know, Jesus, at times he feels a little... Like there's a little tension in there, right? And this had to make them feel a little uneasy, you know? I mean, they're, they're asking and Jesus, you know, before he explains, you know, he kind of kind of takes a little dig. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I, I at least want to say this out loud because I don't know why these texts get this stuff attached to them and they just don't belong. Jesus is not abolishing any of the uh, dietary laws or any of the purity laws. And how can I say that with such confidence? Because let's just be real. There are many, 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 many people who disagree with me. And I believe that there are just so many things that we can disagree on, and it's okay. But this isn't one of them. Jesus is not abolishing dietary laws or purity laws. You know why? Because he couldn't be Messiah if he was. You can't argue that point. He was either sinless, perfect Messiah, or he wasn't. And if he was, he wasn't abolishing anything in the Torah. I'm just laying it out for you. You can argue it all you want, and you're just beating your head up against a wall. But in all of this, Jesus is teaching about obedience and purity. Now, remember, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were concerned about purity, but what were we trying to call that, Samuel? Uh, Which kind of purity? Ritual purity. Yeah, ritual purity. It's something that has to do with your physical body, and it has to do with, you know, the temple and and other uh, religious things, and I say that in the, in, in the best sense, okay? So, Jesus is explaining that this shouldn't really be of great concern outside the temple, you know, just like everyday life sort of circumstances. And what he's saying is that anything that enters the body, like through the mouth, and and this is whether it is unclean in a ritually impure sense, like, you know, I touched a dead body or, you know, uh, my wife is on her period or, you know, whatever it might be, or even in like the classic unclean sense, as in like pork is unclean food versus beef, which is not, or something like that. So, mm-hmm. and, and this is a big thing, Samuel, have we even talked about this before? There are two kinds of unclean, and this gets so confused in our English Bibles. There's unclean, like God, he just made a list. Here are some things you can't eat, and here are some things you can, so they called them clean and unclean. But this is about ritual purity, and it gets called clean and unclean also. So there's two different kinds. It's important that we know that. But here, here's where we were going. Anything that goes into the body, 
And it doesn't even matter what sense you're talking about it being unclean. When it exits the body, it's now clean again. And I'm giving people a second for that to seek in. See, the project, the, the process of digestion and defecation, it's the cleanest word I could think of right there, results in clean. It cannot be called unclean in any sense that we've talked about. Now, I, I know that it's really counterintuitive to talk about poop and say that it's clean. <laughs> and maybe for the sake of the podcast, we should, you know, emphasize it by saying poop. But <laughs> it's to, it, what we're saying is that it's not ritually impure. If it was on the way in, it's no longer once it comes out. And it's also true, I mean, if you ate pork and you weren't supposed to because you're Jewish, when it comes out, it's not pork anymore. And so in that sense, it's not unclean in any of that sort of way either. Now, I'm sure they're just like us. They didn't ever want to touch it or have it on them or any, you know, whatever. But in terms of clean and unclean, the way we think of things in the Bible, boop, is clean. And so we just got to go there. All right. And so all of that means that Jesus's point is actually very simple. Regarding your life, your ordinary everyday life away from the temple and and any other possible religious or ritual thing that you might be involved in, you shouldn't be overly concerned about that ritual impurity. We've seen in Jesus's life himself, he wasn't concerned about it. He was willing to become unclean. It was okay with him. It's not sinful. Now, this is especially true concerning food because your body, in a sense, undefiles it. It doesn't go into your heart. It goes into the toilet. But now that I've said that, that may, you know what? There's something we need, we need to talk about what he is not saying. And I'm about to pick on an English translation. You ready, Samuel? As a general rule, and I know you've probably heard me in the podcast say things that, gee, I wish it would have been worded this way, or this one's not really giving you the right idea. Maybe it'd be better if it sounded like this or this. But I try to be careful with it because I don't want to be too picky. And here you can see I'm about to have a big problem with an English translation. And it's in, we usually read from the ESV in all of our, our podcasts. I'm not like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But this one, this one truly makes me angry because it is so, so, so wrong. So here we go. In parentheses, Mark Mark includes, at least in most of your English Bibles, thus he declared all foods clean. This is suggesting, I know, you can hear it. You read it, it looks like, oh, well, there you go. Dietary laws are gone. No, that is so not in view here. And, And let's walk through this. First of all, When I read it, it said, uh, it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Well, that's a very nice way to say it, you know, but if we want to be explicit, what it's actually saying is it goes into the toilet, just as I said a moment ago. That's what's actually in the text. So there's the, the thing that we were talking about where poop is no longer unclean or whatever, right? And second... The entire phrase, thus he declared, is literally just invented, made up out of nothing. 
It's not in the text at all. Jesus wasn't declaring anything, especially nothing concerning clean and unclean foods. Uh, uh, the, The context, first of all, is ritual purity, has nothing to do with a list of foods that are off limits, right? Can't confuse those. But here's the thing. And, and and we know this, and, and, and we give people a lot of room. We give them the benefit of the doubt because this is really hard. But the quotation marks aren't there. The question marks aren't there. The parentheses aren't there. The periods aren't there. All kinds of stuff. So we got to give them room. But here, to add, thus he declared. Okay, that's way out of bounds. And this whole idea of all foods clean, well, he, he had just said, that it goes into the toilet. All foods clean. We know that excrement is not an unclean thing in the ritual purity sense. So it's only referring to the result of bodily functions. And and it's highlighting the folly of the concerns of the scribes and Pharisees. Once again, keeping it in context. And, you know, I'll do what I always do. if, If I could rewrite it, it would read something more like, that it goes into the stomach and it goes into the toilet ritually cleansing all foods. Now, I know it technically doesn't say that, but it's way better than thus he declared all foods clean. But I'm just trying to give you the idea of what's going on in this passage so that you can understand what it's not saying. And that ultimately is going to, I hope, be clearer and and flow more smoothly into what comes next. Yeah, that was a jam-packed section of text <laughs> right there. I'm trying to <laughs> grapple with a lot of things. Um, yeah. I wanted to say a few minutes ago with um, maybe Jesus's harsh, seemingly seeming harshness towards his disciples back at the beginning with him saying, like, are you without understa- understanding? Do you not see? Right. Keep in mind, we had just said previously that Jesus had already given a parable similar to this with the tares and the wheat. Right. And then if you think about the rabbinic relationship that it, students' primary goal, um, like their identity in terms of once they become a student of this rabbi is to imitate him, his actions, his lifestyle, his words, including his teachings, then yeah. I would say it's, I mean, it's justified in some sense for Jesus to be maybe a little upset because he's like, you're with me day in and day out. You've heard, you know, for all we know, he may have been giving a similar teaching elsewhere to the public. Right. You know, the, the gospels say that there's so many accounts that were never written down. So just keep that in mind that I'm not trying to bash on the disciples unnecessarily but jesus has some right to showcase this criticism because he's he's keeping them to a high standard because they are his apostles like that these are the 12 that he chose to build the assembly that will go out to the entire world um yeah and then i i hope that people don't walk away from this little tidbit about dietary laws and making foods clean unclean all this that we're trying to suggest to listeners that oh we need to start eating kosher like that is not what we're saying at all because right. unless you are covenantally Jewish and you're listening to this podcast like the dietary laws don't apply to you because we're Gentile um, 
that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to learn like things, wisdom within these dietary laws that we can use and apply to our lives so that we can continue to um, refine ourselves, set ourselves apart from the rest of the world. But we're, we're not advocating to, that we need to start um, getting rid of all of non-kosher foods um, yeah. through this talk. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I'm glad you brought it up because, again, if, if you're listening to the podcast and you're Jewish, guess what? Uh, we're putting that on your shoulders. You do need to take that on. And sorry if you don't like it, but you have a covenant responsibility. Gentiles, it's not that way. Now, I would add, and we're going to see this, you know, someday when we get to Acts 15, the result of the council in Jerusalem, that there are some extra standards about dietary things, and it has to do with Jews and Gentiles, all believers, uh, living together in community. And so that may make our diets and everything a little more stringent. And But that's for the sake of community. It's, it's not the same as being in the covenant a, as a full-on Jew. But yeah, good point, Samuel. I also just wanted to add, since we got on the topic of poop, um, poop. with <laughs> you using that within this part of Jesus' um, teaching, there, I, I just did a quick search on... Torah, yeah, like you can go on Google and type Torah laws about pooping. I know you're trying to know it sounds ridiculous and hilarious, but there is actually a section in Deuteronomy that is specifically talking about soldiers when they're in the camp. Uh, it's Deuteronomy, let's see, twenty chapter 23, verses 11 through 15, and it's some laws about how the soldiers are to conduct themselves within the camps that they're staying at, uh, especially with this assumption that the presence of the Lord is in the midst of the camp. And I, I think it's just really interesting. I'm just going to read these two verses, verses 13, 14, and 15. It okay. says, There shall be an area for you outside the camp where you may relieve yourself. With your gear you shall have a spike, and when you have squatted you shall dig a hole with it and cover up your excrement. Since Yahweh your God moves about in your camp to protect you and to deliver your enemies to you, let your camp be holy. Then this is the interesting part. Let him not find anything unseemly among you and turn away from you. That Hebrew word, as far as I can tell, is not associated with the unclean aspect that you were mentioning just previously. It has more to do with like shame and nakedness yeah. associated with you know the the act of relieving yourself. So I just find that that text interesting and it yeah. coincides really well with with this part too yeah see we can say a lot of bad things about the internet but that was a winner right there <laughs> winner winner chicken dinner how about that ladies and gentlemen we have a winner that's right no that's super good that's super good and you know i encourage people Hey, even if it turns out we're completely wrong about everything, if we're somehow uh, sparking the the uh, desire to study and, and research and all of that, man, get after it. Do it. It's good stuff. All right. So where are we headed next? He, he's not actually done. Okay, so we're still on the same topic. We're going to go, this is in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, and Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, 
And in this case, I think I'm going to read them both. They, they are very similar, and yet I think we can gain a little bit from each one. So I'll read Matthew first. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And Mark seven twenty, And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Okay. Now, I feel like I need to say something before we even get started on the list of things and all that, which we're not going to try to go through each one individually. But, okay, when it says heart, 21st century America, or I guess probably even the whole world for all I know, Samuel, what are we talking about when we say the heart? Um, wait, you're saying within 21st century? Or yes. You, yeah, um, us. I mean, some people take it literally, like that or i know it has something to do with an emotional mental aspect yeah. of yourself um, yeah it's usually about the feels my emotions you know what what that we think of it oh that just hurts my heart oh, it makes my heart sing with joy right that kind of it's emotional in your bible when you're when people are talking about the heart the heart of man they're talking about your mind and your will. And so that's really not intuitive for us today, but you got to keep that, well, in your mind, <laughs> in, in your biblical heart, if you will, right? So that's the first thing. And, and now that we've gotten a clearer picture of, you know, how eating and pooping works with regard to ritual impurity, we can see that Jesus is switching because he's speaking now about and I don't know what to call it, true impurity or spiritual impurity or something of that nature. It's not just the ritual stuff. This is, this is defiling your whole person. And, and you might even think, like if you wanted to use a Jewish term, it, we might say the nephesh. It's, mm. it's defiling you your whole life. So the food going in the mouth, it doesn't enter the heart. And therefore, it doesn't make you impure, and especially it doesn't make you truly impure, from from the Pharisees' perspective and the thing that they were protecting against, they were trying to keep people from becoming physically defiled. But Jesus' point is instead that this true impurity originates in the heart, and it's actually what comes out of your mouth. So, so you're truly defiled or spiritually defiled. And now I also have to say He's saying it comes out of your mouth because where did this all start? You're not washing your hands before you eat. So we're, we're talking about things going in the mouth. And so he talks about things going out the mouth. It doesn't mean it's limited to that. 
in reality, what we're talking about is your thoughts and your words and your actions. That's how it comes out, okay? But uh, that anyway, when it comes out of your mouth, that's the defilement that we should all be really concerned about. Jesus's point is that defilement comes from within, and if we're, you know, if you really want to be all worried about defilement, hey, how about we repent instead of washing our hands before we eat, or or at least in addition to, or something, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And when we say repent, we're not talking about, you know, like the modern day, I say I'm sorry, or something. We Remember, we say it over and over. This is returning to Torah. This is a Jew talking to Jews. That's what this means. And just real quick, I don't want people to potentially think that Jesus is setting up this system that's suggesting that only negative and bad things come out of the heart. Like we no, also no, no, need no, no, to, no. to think about the other side for out of the heart come, you know, the aspects that imitate the character of God, like mercy, grace, forgiveness, generosity, exactly. abundance, all those things. He's just right now, he's focusing on, you know, in the Jewish terms, you have your good inclination and your evil inclination. And he's yeah. focusing on the evil inclination right now. Yeah, yeah, and it also in your Bible, if you were a spring of water, you can't be both salty and fresh. You yeah. gotta, you gotta pick one, but but you can be salty or fresh. So it, yeah, it's good point, Samuel. Good point. Yeah. So so in this though, Jesus, oh my gosh, he lists all sorts of things that he considers true defilement or things that truly defile a person. It's a big list. And you heard me read them, and I don't have to do it again. If we're honest, one or more probably <laughs> apply to us, right? But, but here's the beautiful thing. God has given instructions in the Torah, rules, stories, commandments, laws, etc., all of it, and they all relate to how to, you know, quote-unquote, fix every one of these things. It's all in there. God has expressed his will for mankind, how we should live in relation to God, and how we should live in relation to other men. It's all in his Torah. And if you want to be truly undefiled, there's your answer. And I'm I'm going to repeat what you have already talked about, Samuel. Jews have a covenant obligation to do this. For Gentiles... It's more like a loving and merciful opportunity. It's like a treasure chest of gold. You need to take advantage of it. It's for your good. And the last thing I want to say, we can see it. And it's again, it, this isn't about canceling any laws. This is about personal ethics. It's really important that we see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my hope is that uh, the listeners who hear that about this beautiful thing that God has given these instructions, commandments, laws, whatever, to help fix those problems, that it that it doesn't come across like it's formulaic, like, oh, I, I, I just need to do X, Y, and Z, and then everything will be fixed. I don't, I don't think that God's commandments and laws necessarily should be treated like that 100% of the time. And nope. what, what I'm getting at is 
like God gave the laws to Moses to give to Israel on Sinai. And then it was appointed to judges, people, whatever, to interpret them. And then that's what resulted in those extra biblical resources that we've mentioned and recommended, like the Midrash, the Talmud, Mishnah, and yeah. all those things. In some, it, it shows the layers upon layers of wisdom found within the Torah. And like as you do that digging, those stories behind the laws, do, I don't know, the way that it, I can describe it for myself, it, it like reveals the the error within yourself and yeah. like the the graciousness of God to show you a different way rather than it being like X produces Y end of story. Like it, it's a journey that the law takes you on in order yeah. to show you how to, how to do repentance. So I yeah. just, I'm just saying that, that, that the system of, pursuing the instructions is much more organic and dynamic than that the statement itself seems to be yeah. suggesting. Yeah, it's good. Good, Samuel. Uh, it always makes me think that, you know, all of us were created in the image of God. And so there's a sense in which all of us deserve some measure of dignity and respect just for that alone. And we also know that we aren't appearing to be in the image, and all of these instructions are how we do that. And so by by studying and trying to do what we see, that is, in a sense, imaging God. It's mm-hmm. just a good thing. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, Samuel, you're going to have to hold on to your hat because we're about to travel. Uh-oh. Matthew chapter 15, 21 to 24. In Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 26, I'm going to read from Matthew, I think. It says this. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, okay. That doesn't seem nice. What's going yeah. on here? <laughs> Let's see what is going on. So Tyre and Sidon, or Sidon, uh, it's it's pretty far away. It's, I don't know, probably 25 or 30 miles, like, as the crow flies. So straight over. It's north and west. It's, it's on or at least near the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's mostly Gentile. You know, pockets of Jews in and around there, for sure. Uh, but Jesus... He seems to be trying to get away. I can only imagine get some quiet time, some alone time, some teaching time with this, whatever. And, and we don't really know how long they are there. It it could even be measured in weeks or even months. But in the end, the thing is, you know, this whole idea of trying to get away, it doesn't work all that well. Uh, and as we see in this story, we have this woman 
Now, it depends on your translation. She could be called Canaanite or Gentile or Syrophoenician or who knows, whatever. Thing is, they're a long way from, you know, what would be their home base back in Capernaum, Galilee. They're in a predominantly Gentile region and still someone knows about him, hears about him being in the region. And and what do they do? They come seeking a miracle. And she's not even Jewish. How does she know this stuff? And we could look back and we can go, well, you know, she's in the region where a couple of the Bible stories are. So maybe she knows a little bit of one of the old stories about Elijah and the widow in Zarephath, uh, which was a region in and around Sidon. Uh, Or uh, who knows, maybe she knows the stories about Jezebel. Jezebel was from Sidon. We don't know, but one thing is certain, Jesus's fame has spread despite his efforts to keep it quiet, which we keep trying to highlight. Here's that Jesus guy trying to shut him up again. But it, he, everywhere he goes, and this is this is pretty far away. So you got to think, if he's trying to keep it quiet because he doesn't want you know his end to come too soon, it's kind of amazing that his life on earth was even as long as it was, because everywhere he goes, people know. But then check this out, Samuel. Remember, this is a Canaanite woman or a Gentile woman or a Syrophoenician woman or whatever. Listen to what she says. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Well, didn't we just say she was Gentile? That seems like a big deal. Yeah, these are very messianic titles. How, how How does she know this stuff? And so even if... She might have known some of those old historical stories. She, she, she must have had some, I don't know, history or association with some Jews somewhere. I don't know what. But anyway, this woman, she's seeking Jesus on behalf of her little daughter. Her little daughter, severely oppressed by a demon or an unclean spirit, depending on what you're reading. For her behavior, totally understandable. But Jesus ignores her. And, and I mean, as the story, he, you might even say he, he then refuses to do anything for her or for this little girl. Now, Samuel, doesn't that seem strange? Doesn't that seem weird? Yeah. I mean, uh, my timeline's messed up. So now I don't know whether I'm spoiling stuff or not like I did last <laughs> week. But it reminds me of that story that um, – Jesus had that interaction with the woman about the dogs and him saying like it's not good to to give food at the table to the dogs and the woman's like well, yeah but like even like dogs come to ask for crumbs or whatever it it's the same kind of setup it seems like it's so close to the same that it's actually the rest of the story oh no <laughs> <laughs> i did it again we're just going to call you a prophet. Yeah. We're just going giving you the benefit of the doubt. That's good stuff. So yeah, it, it, of course it reminds you of that because he just outright refuses. This is a weird, crazy story. And we're not the only ones who might be thinking it's weird because the disciples also think it's weird. Listen, they beg him to send her away. And so the first thing you got to wonder is, wow. How much is she crying out? And, and I like, for how long is she keeping it up? They're, they're begging him 
to send her away. And I also would just like to point out, if somebody was really, really, really bugging you and you were hanging out with Jesus and all they wanted was for Jesus to heal their daughter, just think about it, Samuel. Would you say, oh, Jesus, please, I can't take it anymore. Will you please just send her away? Or would you say, oh, Jesus, I just can't take it anymore. Will you please just heal her daughter so she'll go away? I mean, given Jesus' history and all the things that he's done leading up to this point, that w- the second option would seem more logical <laughs> Yeah, on the disciples' behalf. Yeah, but they didn't. They didn't ask him to heal the daughter. They asked him to send her away. I just think that's also weird. Yeah, there's an equal amount of ouch going on from the disciples as Jesus' response is. Right, yeah. So, you know, no matter who you are reading this, you got to feel sorry for this woman. I mean, what mom wouldn't be doing this very same thing? And so this is what's interesting. Jesus responds to their request, the disciples, by saying that he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And just to say it out loud, this woman was not that. And so we got to see what's actually being refused and what he said. He's, he's specifically refusing and, and talking about healing this little girl. Now, she, she doesn't appear to be there with her mom, as far as we could tell. But, you know, still, I, that just seems harsh. Jesus is focused on his mission. It feels mean to us. But this is a super important piece of information, something to keep in your head when you are trying to imagine this Jesus person. Jesus was focused almost exclusively on Israel when he was here. It wasn't exclusive, but as Samuel said earlier, and of course now we know Jesus would say, it was dad gum close. So, yes, we know that the Gentiles were always to be included in the big story, ultimately. That's totally true. Jesus isn't changing that or whatever. But that was contained within the promise to Abraham. But for the proper image in our heads, we need to keep this general exclusivity in mind. Jesus is here for Israel, specifically the lost sheep, and he remains firm. He is not going to help. Okay, Paul, I'm I'm going to push back against this a little bit because I'm struggling. Um, man, I'm now I can't remember if we've gotten to this story or not. Too, I think we have. <laughs> Surely this is not going to happen three times in a row. But what about the story about the Roman centurion uh-huh. who comes to Jesus asking, was it for one of his servants that uh, was sick and needed healing? And, you know, he he didn't even want Jesus to come to his house because he didn't feel worthy. Right. Um, and Jesus says, like, you know, I see this faith here among this Gentile person, and I haven't seen faith like this in all of my own house of Israel. So my question is, why in that example does Jesus seem to be more sympathetic or willing to help? There doesn't seem to be that firmness, but in this case, there is. Yeah. Um, It just just seems odd with the discrepancy there. 
Yeah. Well, the thing is, I totally agree with you. I mean, I look at this and I see the story and I see him pushing back against this woman and I'm just like, oh, that, that does, no, somebody wrote this wrong. That can't be what happened. He wouldn't do that, but he does. And, and so I feel the exact same thing that you're feeling. And, and I'm not denying that at all. What I, all I was trying to do was add on to it and say, hey, listen, there's something that we can emphasize while we're in the middle of this really weird, strange story, why is Jesus refusing this woman, this poor little girl? Why, why, why? And and it's like, hey, for a proper picture of who Jesus was, we have to remember he was there for the sake of Israel. We know that Gentiles benefit in the long run, for sure, but to have a proper image, we got to know his focus, his mission, his life was centered in and around Israel. Now, as we continue through the story, we're going to see even more Gentile-related stuff. It's very, very important. So it's it's not that it's going to be 100% exclusive, but oftentimes, and and there are many who actually believe that Jesus came to actually get rid of the Jews and Israel and Judaism, and replace them with, quote-unquote, the church. And, and, and so we are definitely not in agreement with that kind of interpretation. And so part of what people get in their head is this idea that Jesus is, you know, kind of like putting all the Jews in their place, showing them how unworthy they have been because he's about to kick them to the curb and all that. And that's not true. So for a proper image of him, we have to see him, he is Israel-centric. Gentiles only make it in in these these few little stories here and there. And so on one hand, Samuel, you're not pushing back because we're in total agreement. And on the other hand, we're, we're using this weirdness to make sure that we have a proper view of Jesus's life generally. Did that help at all? I think so. And while you were saying all those things, what came to mind um, as a, another possible alternative is, I mean, we see throughout the entirety of the Gospels, Jesus's priority of showing respect and dignity to women in a culture that, you know, that it very different than our modern times. Let's just say that um, it, yeah. w- it was radical. It it seemed radical for how he even let. Um, like Martha and Mary, like Mary sitting down at the feet of Jesus, suggest that that she that he was letting her be like a disciple in some sense of right learning from her from him. Um, so, as a, just a, a possible alternative to maybe what's going on when we see something that seems to be so outside of the bounds of Jesus's character, if we start with that foundation that man Jesus really respects women. He wants to include them in the story. He knows that they're a part of like God's image and wants to yeah. include them. And then yeah. we see this example here where it's, it seems harsh and rude and everything. I, I think that the more proper response would be, wait, Jesus is a rabbi. Like I, Something rabbinically has to be going on here in terms of like the nature of this situation, this conversation, this interaction between Jesus and this woman that we can't see on this side of things that he's 
but he's weaving, he's articulating, using to get yeah. to some end in terms of teaching this non-Jewish person something. And like we know that because Jesus has done very radical things rabbinically to get points across. He's drawn yeah. in the dirt. He sent demons into pigs off the side of the cliff. Like he's yeah. turned water into wine. Like um, it, it wouldn't be outside of, of his bounds to uh, like at the initially it seems completely out of left field, but he's going to turn it into something that's going to result in good for her and for the mission of God too. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually is a perfect setup for the rest of this story. And believe it or not, we have to go. <laughs> Shout out to Aslan Can Savage. He's going to hate this episode again. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Sorry for the cliffhanger. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I mean, we're already we're already at our limit, so we got to get out of here. But yeah, that's a it's a really good setup, Samuel, and we're going to see exactly the thing that you're talking about pretty much coming to fruition in the next little bit. So okay. that's going to uh, be that ought to feel pretty good when we get there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Hope all of our listeners are as well. Yeah, well, I mean, we've got them on the edge of their seat now. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's shut this thing down. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time... We pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you all again soon.